So here we are, here week four, the last in our series, our sermon series on sex and the spirit. Here we are. Now, I wasn't here last week when Justin talked about the ingredients of intimacy. Sadly, I was away. I had the opportunity to go preach at the installation of a former ministerial intern that I'd worked with, and it was a wonderful experience. And I have to promise you that on Sunday morning, as I got on my 9 a.m. flight home, I was with you in spirit. I was there in the middle of this you know, those three-seat rows in the airplane, and I was in the center, and I was doing my best to do my reading and preparation for this sermon today. I was trying to covertly bring out the book that one of you had recommended to me by Thomas More, The Soul of Sex, and read it there in between these folks, and it's a spiritual book, and... uh, has really interesting headings, topic headings and stuff, and it has pictures um, of sculpture, but uh, I have to admit it was a little awkward there in the middle of this row, and I felt more than the usual anxiety as I was on that flight. I felt more than my usual amount of anxiety in preparing for this sermon today, too, because the truth is, right, we've covered a lot of ground together so far. We've had three sermons in this series. We've talked about all kinds of things. We've talked about our bodies, the reality that we have them, that we live in them, that they are good inherently. We've talked about vulnerability as the birthplace of joy, the importance of leaning in to authenticity over safety. We've talked about how to let go of the micro-resentments that get in our way in relationships. But through all of this, we've, we've said a lot. We haven't said near enough. We can't. But we haven't actually, I don't think, talked about sex yet. So here we are at week four, and I feel like someone should address the topic here in this Sex and the Spirit sermon series. What do you think? Should we do it? Okay, good. I'm glad, because that's where we're going today. But I want to be really clear. We're talking about sex today, but we're going to talk about sex in a particular way. And in particular, what I want to talk about is eros, a kind of love. So eros as the soul of sex. Now the ancient Greeks laid out a number of different kinds of love for us to consider. They talked about philia, which is kind of friendly, friendship love. They talked about karatas, about the love we often feel when we are propelled towards acts of charity. They talked about agape a lot. And certainly many religions do that kind of self-sacrificing love, the Jesus-like love that is talked about so much in the Gospels. But the Greeks also talked about eros, or erotic love, love that is rooted in creativity and passion and expression, eros. And I want to give you one definition of what eros can look like. This comes from the author Susan Griffith. And she says, this is Eros. To make love is to become like an infant again. We grope with our mouths toward the body of another human being whom we trust, who takes us in their arms. We rock together with that loved one. We move beyond speech. Our bodies move past all the controls we have learned. We cry out 
in ecstasy, in feeling. We are back in a natural state before culture tried to erase our experience of nature. In this world, to touch another is to express our love. There is no idea apart from feeling, and no feeling which does not ring through our bodies and our souls at once. This is Eros, she says, our own wholeness, not the sensation of pleasure alone, not the idea of love alone, but the whole experience of human love. The whole experience, the whole expression of human love, of body and soul united in that moment, that experience past controls beyond speech, back to the natural state in which we were born before culture had often its negative way with us. Back there, back beyond just pleasure alone or love alone, but all of it together. That is the kind of love I want to talk about this morning. Eros, the soul of sex. But before we head too far along in theory, I want to talk about a real-life example. I want to talk about a man named Mark O'Brien, a witty, brilliant, talented journalist and poet. Mark O'Brien, who was the man who took center stage. His life was the basis for the recent film, The Sessions. How many folks have seen The Sessions? I've got to recommend it to you. It is such tenderness and awakening in it. So The Sessions came out, I think, this fall. It's a wonderful film, and it tells Mark's story, or part of it, at least. So Mark O'Brien. At the age of six years old, Mark contracted polio, and it changed his life forever. It limited the movement of his body. He could maybe sometimes move the tips of his fingers or toes and his head, but otherwise he was paralyzed, and he had trouble with breathing, and he lived most of his life encased in an iron lung. Now, Mark says he looked back at the age of 35 or so and realized that he hadn't even seen his own body since he was six years old. The angle of his head, the shape of his chest, the iron lung that really encased him, it all kept him from even seeing his own body. He felt disconnected in so many ways from his physical self. He felt this disconnection, but that wasn't all Mark felt. Mark also knew love, deep, powerful love, agape love. This connection he had with family and friends, with caregivers, was meaningful to him, so rich. But there was this whole other area, this area of eros, of erotic love, that had been pretty much foreign to Mark. Until, that is, he got a particular phone call. An editor called him up one day and said, hey, I was wondering, would you be willing to write an article on sex and the disabled for me? And he paused for a moment, and then he answered, yes, absolutely, I will. Now, Mark began his research, I think, in probably the best place that he could. He started talking to his friends. His friends, many of them whom had different challenges with their own bodies, his friends, who were navigating some tricky terrain themselves. And as he talked to them, he learned that many of them were having wonderful sexual experiences. Many of them knew eros. They knew erotic love. And as he found this out, he couldn't help but think, I think like most of us would in that moment, if this is possible for them, 
Is it possible for me too? Could this happen for me? The way Mark puts it is that as he had these conversations, as he began his research, it was as if a door had opened that he could not close. This door of possibility. Could he know what sex and touch and the giving and receiving of pleasure actually felt like? Could he know not just agape, but eros too? Mark went to talk to his therapist about all of this, and a suggestion came his way. Perhaps he would be open to working with a sexual surrogate, someone who would help him to learn his body, to come to know his body, to overcome his fears and anxieties, someone who could help him to learn about himself so that he might then be ready to experience these feelings, these things with another in the fullness of love and relationship. Now, as the movie unfolded, as Mark prepared for these sessions and as he met with the sexual surrogate, well, I'll tell you, certainly for me as the viewer, I couldn't help but get caught up in all of the feelings in this movie, right? Anxiety, anticipation, hope. Could this be possible? All of this went on in me as the viewer, and I'm sure in him, too. And we get to go with him on his journey as his attendants literally roll him on his gurney to each of the sessions he has with the sexual surrogate. As his attendants do what I think most of us would try to do, distract him, comfort him, offer some hope as he is filled with this anxiety and sense of possibility. So for Mark, talking and body awareness exercises led to all kinds of new understandings. He unearthed the anxiety that he felt that was rooted in parental teachings and religious beliefs. He discovered a core belief that he had for years that he simply didn't deserve pleasure or love in this way. Each meeting brought new ideas and new progress, new experiences, and eventually brought as well a love that included not just agape, but eros. It was a joining of body and soul. He experienced a letting go of the shame and mortification he had known for so long. He had momentary experiences of feeling dissolved into something larger, letting go of his singular self, that sense of disconnection he had felt for so much of his life. It was one such moment that happened that really particularly caught my attention. It was in session four with Mark and his sexual surrogate, Cheryl. They had experienced pleasure together, and then the moment happened. Cheryl leaned down and gently kissed Mark on the chest, his chest, the place in his body that had for so long been the source of his disconnection. She leaned down with tenderness, maybe without even intending to do what she did, with familiarity, and just kissed him there. And Mark says he felt as if he could cry in that particular moment. Such closeness, such care for that body, for him. Now that moment That moment is the kind of experience that I hope we have experienced, each of us or will experience, be it during sex or during any other interaction, that moment where we feel love and tenderness come forward, where we feel the separation, perhaps even let go of the places of the deepest wounding in ourselves and lean forward into love, into something 
larger. It was in this moment, this one moment for Mark, that it was no longer her and him, no longer able-bodied or not, no longer your legs, my arms, but instead the experience of body and soul merged, of distinctions disappearing, of agape and eros living together, the experience of deep human wholeness. It was as if for a moment, as the poet said today, as if the wolf had lain down and gone quietly to sleep and allowed our separateness to dissolve. This, I have no doubt, is a spiritual experience. But then, after love, as the poet puts it, the compromises begin again. We retreat back into our bodies. But something has changed. Something has shifted, I think, when we know, when we touch that larger self of which we are a part. Something changes. A door of possibility opens that is not easily shut. Throughout Mark's lifetime, he knew love, deep love. He knew agape and eros, and when it came time for him to die, he counted the experience of this kind of love as one of the most important achievements of his lifetime, that he could know this intimacy, this dissolution of the self. It mattered for him and for those with whom he shared those experiences. So I want to say, that when sexual intimacy takes this kind of shape, when body and soul merge, when distinctions dissolve, when pleasure is given and received freely and without condition, when the wolf lies down and the boundaries that divide you and me slip away, I believe it is then that we experience eros, the soul of sex. But I think we all know, too, that sex so often doesn't look or feel anything like this, right? Sex can happen when we feel disconnected from ourselves and each other. We arrive at sex, so many of us, the topic and the experience full of anxiety and concern. These are fears that I think tend to be compounded by this illusion that we live in a liberated age now, this sense that we all should be perfectly comfortable with our bodies, with the idea and the experience of sex, that we should all be talking freely about it, It's an illusion, I think. It's one I know well because I watched my anxiety rise as this weekend approached, as I knew I had to talk about it. I think we have this idea that, well, sure, for thousands of years, sex and sexuality have been the source of frustration and neuroses and anxiety for so many people, but not us, right? We're over that. We're done with it. We're better than that. But I think it's true that this can only compound our anxiety, our feelings of inadequacy. One of the authors I was reading as I was preparing for these sermons was talking about how there's this perception out there that sex is one of those things that we should all, like I said, be able to talk about freely and openly, that it's you know, a physically reviving, stress-reducing, pleasurable activity that we should all have as often as possible, kind of like playing tennis. You know, We should just do that a lot. I thought, oh, how can you not feel inadequate (laughs) with some of those expectations? So you add to that the reality that sex for so many of us, the experiences with it have been damaging or challenging for us. 
add to that fact that sometimes we feel disconnected from ourselves and each other when we most long to feel connected. Put all this together and you know, I know, that sex is a tricky subject. It's not something that can be talked about as easily as I hope that it can. We come to this topic with gifts and challenges particular to us as individuals. But still, still, I believe we have a longing deep inside, a longing to know love through the medium of our bodies. Now, this longing can be answered, can be responded to whether we are in a relationship or not, whether we are single or partnered. This longing that we know, I think, as human beings, as animals, as souls living in bodies, this longing is to be accepted, to be known, to be cared for with tenderness. I think we long somewhere deep within to delight ourselves and another with the mere presence of our body, with the smell or the touch of our skin. I think we long for this kind of love and acceptance, not just emotionally, but physically too. And I think this longing that most of us share has real power to propel us toward wholeness and connection. It is a holy longing we have. When sex and sexuality can embody these longings, I believe that sex can be one path, one way, one practice that can lead us toward spiritual awakening. And I have to be careful, or at least as inclusive as I hope to be here, and I want to say that when I talk about sex in this way, I am talking about the experience of sexual pleasure. Pleasure that can happen alone or with another. Something that can lead us to the feeling of awe, humility, connection. Making love can be an experience of grace, the theologian Rebecca Parker says. It is a lived experience of gifts given and received regardless of how we feel about our bodies or our own worth. It can be an experience that recalls us to ourselves and to each other and to the larger love of which we are a part. So, here at week four, the last in this series, this sermon series on sex and the spirit, here we arrive. We arrive having talked about our bodies and that they are good. We arrive talking about letting go of resentments, about leaning into vulnerability and authenticity. We arrive here with the possibility held out there that the longings uh, that we hold, the longings to be loved through the medium of our body, that these are good and healthy and lead us toward wholeness. This is where we are. And it is my hope, it is our hope, I know, that this is just the beginning of the conversation. The conversation you have within yourself, perhaps in your own reading and writing, your reflecting, your prayer, your meditation, the thoughts you have while you're out walking. It is our hope this is the beginning of the conversation you have with yourself, with your family and friends, that somewhere along the way in this series, a door has been opened in you a door of possibility that cannot easily be shut. May you, may we, follow that door. May it be so, and amen.